when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Times Business Podcast, where we're going to be taking a look ahead to some of the events that are going to be shaping investment decisions in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means checking out the political landscape in Germany post-election, how Britain is faring in Brexit talks, and keeping with the B theme, we're going to be asking, is the world becoming a more protectionist place after Bombardier came under fire following a complaint from Boeing? This week, I'm joined in the studio here in London by the Times City Editor, Harry Wilson, Marcus LaRue, our trade correspondent, and I'm pleased to say on the line from Berlin, David Charter, author and the Times correspondent there. Uh, welcome to you all. David Charter in Berlin, let's start with you. Um, perhaps you could just set the scene for us following the German election and what it actually means going forward from where you are. Right, well, I do think that the German election is going to have perhaps more um, far-reaching consequences than have so far really been appreciated. Of course, a lot of the coverage has been about how the far right have entered the Bundestag for the first time since the 50s, really. However, the coalition forming that Angela Merkel now has to do is really her most complex domestic undertaking since she came to power. She's got to agree with um, all four parties that are going to form the coalition. That's the two conservative parties on her side and the liberal free Democrats and the Greens on a, on a program. And they have conflicting aspirations. So uh, as far as Brexit is concerned, this means that it falls very much down a notch uh, in German um, in interests uh, for this period, which could take until January, I've been told, by German MPs who are very worried about it. And they're so worried, in fact, that they think that there could even be a second German election needed to sort out the mess if they cannot form a coalition. And this, of course, will send markets into some sort of meltdown, I think, if it gets to that point. Uh, so, we're going to see Merkel very much on the back foot and on the domestic foot for the next three or four months trying to sort all this out, which means that her scope for getting involved in international um, decisions, um, unless she absolutely has to, will be very limited. And she will basically try and find the consensus on European matters going forward um, because she won't have the time to really uh, try and impose any German view. So that means, I think, you know, that the French will be left to continue to 
to set the agenda in the euro in the eurozone and in the wider Euro, uh, European Union. In France, is is typically quite a business uh, competitor of ours in terms of, of of the German market. Marcus, can I bring you in here as trade correspondent? You look at these things. Is that worrying in terms of what sort of deal we might secure, especially in the trade arena, if Angela Merkel, as David says, is 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 occupied with domestic politics? I think it's probable that we'll be um, only just getting around to talking about the future relationship, even if it does take the Germans as long to form a coalition as as David was suggesting it, it might. Michel Barnier said today that, you know, that we were still weeks, possibly months away from meeting his litmus test of sufficient progress on uh, the, the priority issues of the withdrawal bill and Ireland and citizens, citizens' rights. So that that's all quite a long way down the line. And also, in the first instance, everything will be handled by, by Barnier's negotiating team and, and the commission rather than the member, the member states, you know, this sort of... This idea that um, David Davis floated before the referendum, before reality dawned, that he would his first that the first trip of any trade minister or foreign secretary would be to fly to Berlin to cut a deal with Frau Merkel. Um, you know, it, it's it, it it was quite demonstrably not true as it turned out. You know, it doesn't even look like there is even a, a watered down, diluted sense in which that appears to be the case that, that the EU are playing things cussedly by their their playbook and by their timetable. Well, let's just get a quick clip here we've got of David Davis uh, talking after his most recent talks with, with Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator. This is what he was saying. We must never forget the bigger picture. Britain wants to be the European Union's strongest friend and partner. We want us both to thrive side by side. I leave Brussels optimistic about this future and I look forward to continuing the negotiations. Thank you. Uh, that was David. Davis, uh, Harry Wilson, are you reassured in any way by that pretty bland statement, wasn't it? And we're what, into the third or fourth round of talks? I, I don't think I'm reassured or, or made more nervous by it. I mean, as you said, it's a, it's a pretty bland statement of the blindingly obvious. And it's uh, uh, all of which kind of plays into so what some of the city thinks is the UK's ultimate Brexit negotiating position, which is actually uh, very much to keep things bland and high level and not to get drawn into the specifics, because given the time frame, there simply isn't enough time to get anywhere near to any kind of detailed uh, trade or other types of negotiations. So um, in that sense, it, it all fits with what seems to be emerging as maybe the UK's ultimate Brexit stance, which is to keep things very high level, keep uh, it a sort of broad discussion of, of wider principles and not get drawn into the, the details. So in that sense, I, I think it just fits of a piece. Um, and obviously, how a broad level agreement would, would, would work for, you know, a cargo that has to move into the European Union on Brexit Day, according to European Union's customs procedures and the common external tariff and the common commercial policy, that doesn't operate on the level of generality. There's a general theme here, which is the UK, Theresa May, David Davis and others are still talking in terms of we don't want to uh, erect any additional or new trade barriers. Whereas Barnier, the Commission, um, and even EU bodies are talking about um, the, the the inevitable repercussions of of leaving the European Union is that you become a third country and that you have to meet the third country requirements of dealing with the with with the European Union. That for them is axiomatic to the point of being 
self-evident. The more transactional idea that, well, you know, when push comes to shove, it won't be in the EU's interests to erect new trade barriers kind of overlooks A, how they see the European Union in the first place. And I, and I think more tellingly B, the problems of precedent that it will cause them if they if they're to allow some form of pass out for the UK without being in, in regulatory lockstep with it. Um, it's difficult to know what's just a platitude and what actually, you know, where there is actual work and actual detail behind the platitude. Um, you, you sort of worry sometimes with this government that there might not be anything behind their airy platitudes. I know that in, in a lot of instances that isn't the case, that the kind of vague veneer is disguising a hell of a lot of frenetic activity by civil servants to make sure that, you know, that the planes stay in the, the air or that EU trade agreements are replicated on day one and so on. But it's still, even after this week's negotiating round, Barney, I was at pains to point out that there was new a new perspective, new momentum as a result of the Prime Minister's speech in Florence. You still have to sort of strip away some of the some of the verbiage that you were raising your eyebrows at a moment ago, Harry. David, just one final thought on this particular topic. It, it, you've just heard what uh, Marcus was saying. Is that how you see it from over there, that there will be inevitably a penalty for exit and it will be probably most painful in the trade arena? I would just say from over here that if this election has changed um, anything in, uh, in in the German approach, it will. I'm pretty sure it will it will make the Germans uh, more likely to to, to want uh, to see that kind of dynamic. In in other words, that it gets tougher for, for Britain really, because there's been a shock to the German system from the rise of the far right. They they want to um, find ways to. Um, it, uh, protect and enhance the, the, the gains of uh, liberal society that have been made uh, in the post-war period and absolutely fundamental to the German understanding of a, of a modern, uh, liberal, um, uh, democratic Europe is the European Union. It's just, it's, it, it just goes hand in hand with the modern German state. And now that Britain is obviously wanting to break away, that's been accepted but it's it's really the feeling in Berlin is that that cannot be allowed in any way to jeopardize the, the European project. So if this scare that Merkel's had means anything, it means that she's more likely to err on the side of protecting what the what the EU already has. And if that means that it gets more difficult for Britain, so be it. That's that is really the benefits of Brexit. Uh, are no, are, you know, are, if they ever were, are really not something that are, you know, that are of, of great interest to, to Berlin. Preserving and enhancing the European Union is absolutely existential to Germany. Okay, well, we'll leave that there. Some some worrying thoughts I'm, I'm feeling are developing here. Let's move on to Bombardier. Uh, Marcus, let me just bring you in here. Just bring us up to date. Bombardier, Boeing, it was a dispute, but it seems to have escalated right the way up the tree to have reverberations around the trading world. Is that fair? I, I think that is fair. Yeah, the the you know the the, the aerospace industry is is uh, no stranger to trade disputes, spats. You know, Boeing and 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 its arch rival Airbus are always 
kicking lumps out of each other at the, the WTO in, in Geneva. And the Bombardier issue is, is kind of notable because Bombardier is, you know, is, is the, the sort of smaller guy on the playground that tries to keep out of their way by and large. I mean, literally it, its business model at the moment is building smaller planes so they're not in in direct competition with with the duopoly of, of Boeing, uh, of the US and Airbus of, of Europe. So the, the surprise really here is, is just, you know, Boeing's bloodlust in using U.S. trade defense measures exploiting this very protectionist Trump administration to pursue a rival that isn't a direct competitor. And I think a lot of raised eyebrows about how, when it gets to that point in this procedure, it will have to prove injury. How will it show that it's been that it's been put out by by somebody selling planes that it doesn't produce? The interesting thing for me actually is is that this could provide a bridgehead for Brazil to take WTO litigation against Bombardier, which is kicking off pretty much as we speak. Um, and that's interesting because Embraer, the uh, the Brazilian uh, maker of smaller aircraft, is is actually uh, Bombardier's biggest uh, biggest customer in that in that part of the market. And what one senior Brazilian official told me is that, well, you know, we can use this as as as, as a jumping off um, as, as 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 a launch pad because the the Americans have gone and done a lot of the legwork for us. They've cracked open the the data the information that we need to help build a case, which if it was us doing it on our own, might have taken a heck of a lot longer. So I think that's an interesting aspect. I'm not saying there was any formal, you know, cooperation between the two sides, but it was definitely useful for both of them that you have one party who's going down a slower WTO multilateral process, but can prove injury. And another part partner who's, you know, smashing through the front door, as it were, uh, but probably can't prove injury. Together, the two actually provide a fairly formidable attack, which, you know, is a very long-winded way of saying it doesn't look great if you're a, a Bombardier employee in East Belfast. Harry, do you see this as something that is rather specific to the aero parts industry, or do you see this as a possibility of spreading out elsewhere throughout different parts of industry? Um, I, I think since the financial crisis, there has been a long-held view that the ultimate outcome of uh, of the crisis could be to ferment and to encourage protectionism around the world. And uh, it's been spoken of much, certainly in areas I look at in terms of capital protection, in terms of uh, increasingly protectionist attitude to foreign movements or overseas movements of, uh, of money. And I think that um, you're, it's absolutely correct to see this as part of a much wider move. The, the fact is you can see it in many different areas, maybe just not quite as vividly as something uh, like Bombardier, where you can see uh, real impacts on jobs. Uh, you know, at the moment, we're certainly starting to see a great uh, global divergence in terms of uh, banking regulation. You know, we had uh, a certain amount of unanimity in terms of the post-crisis response, but certainly now we're starting to see the US weakening. And that is almost uh, inevitably going to have some kind of consequence in terms of potentially sort of moves by other countries to either sort of take uh, retaliatory action or to uh, take a sort of quote unquote uh, race to the bottom. So, um, yes, it's a part of a wider piece. We're going to see more of it. And, um, you know, the, the dangerous thing is where, where these things end up when you, you know, protectionism, history tells us, is not a, a great route towards uh, political stability. So if I can build on that slightly ominous uh, note, one of the things that is getting a certain amount of pick up in recent days is that you have the overt Trump bellicose uh, trade agenda, but there's also a, a 
covert element to it. So Trump has talked about banning the so-called Section 232 measure, so putting punitive tariffs on steel imports on the grounds or blocking steel imports on the grounds that they're a national security threat, which seems strikes a lot of people as barking mad. But, but shows how draconian he's willing to be, that all that stuff's out in the open and is covert and, and seems to have been parked for the meantime. But what's happening quietly under the radar is the US obstructing the nomination of uh, judges at the WTO, which is is frustrating and, and, and creating a bit of a logjam in the whole system. Why does that matter? Why is that uh, just, you know, isn't just of interest to, to trade lawyers in, in Geneva? It's Harry's point, the WTO is supposed to be the referee for rules-based free, inverted commas, trade. And the dispute settlement system was was the, the element of it that was slow and frustrating, but tended to work. You know, the US, the world's foremost economic superpower, lost a, a, its fair share of cases. It was deemed to be imperfect, but functioning. And there seems to be a deliberate attempt now under the Trump administration to undermine it. And so that, when combined with the more overt stuff about your steel industry, um, protecting American jobs, you know, buy American, hire American, uh, you're creating conditions for other countries to turn around and say, well, you're not playing by the rules either. So, so when it's politically opportune, we will ignore WTO agreements. We'll ignore the terms of free trade agreements we have with other parties. And, and you see much more of a, a, a tit for tat dynamic playing out as we've sort of seen early warnings of with the Bombardier issue. David, a final thought with you over there in Germany. Uh, protectionism, is that on the agenda over there? Do you feel? Uh, yes, I do. Um, I mean, obviously, the Germans were very rattled when Trump said in his Times interview at the start of the year that he would that he could slap on enormous tariffs on German cars because he keeps seeing uh, Mercedes in Fifth Avenue and he doesn't see many American cars in uh, being sold to Germany. But the the Germans are not as saintly as uh, you may you may think. I mean, it, the economic nationalism and national champions is really a feature of uh, the German economy. I would suggest you know they've got these big sort of companies like Lufthansa and Deutsche Bahn and Deutsche Post, which really haven't been really opened up to very much competition. It was one of the issues that that the British always had with the single market in Europe was that it function very well for a single market in goods, but uh, for a single market in services, it was barely tested. Um, and that's where the, the, the British felt that they'd, they'd lost out and couldn't break into some of the markets like uh, the German transport, for example. So um, the, the Germans have a lot of work to do to to break down the sort of national resistance to to competition in services if they really want the EU single market to develop. And um, it might sound a bit rich uh, then complaining if, you know, we do see the development of economic nationalism, but, you know, further with, um, you know, in the European Union and globally, if they can't get their own house in order. All right, well, that's about it for now. But thank you all very much indeed. Watch out for financial updates uh, coming from just a handful of companies uh, in the coming days. So you'll get a bit of a respite from that. There's those and, of course, all the other news and analysis online on your phones, tablets, 
don't forget in the paper too. If you'd like to become a subscriber, just go to thetimes.co.uk. And then you can also receive our daily morning and lunchtime business bulletins. If you want to hear us weekly, do subscribe through iTunes and uh, feel free to post your comments. We'd love to hear from you. My sincere thanks to Harry Wilson, Marcus LaRue and David Charter. They're all on Twitter, so please do follow them. And remember, David Charter is the author of a number of books and the latest, What Has the EU Ever Done For Us? That's available from Biteback Publishing. Please join us again next week and uh, thanks for listening. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.